Welcome to the Global Digital Banker Podcast. This week is all about Cybos. The 2018 Cybos event entitled Enabling the Digital Economy was held in Sydney last week and our team was on the ground covering some of the highlights from the event. Some of the big themes explored data, AI and robotics, cybersecurity and financial crime, the move to real-time payments and global innovations such as open banking. In part one of this Cyboss special, Christine St. Anne sat down with Leela Fury, Chief Executive Officer at the Australian Payments Network, Madhu Diora, CFO and SVP at Paytm, and Alain Rees, Head of Asia Pacific and EMEA for SWIFT. Kicking off the episode, we have Elaine Rees, who explains innovation within compliance and upcoming opportunities within the payment sector. I'm joined by SWIFT's Elaine Rees. Elaine, welcome. Thanks for having me. Now, Elaine, you've spoken before about innovation and compliance. Can you talk a little bit more about that within the context of the NPP and the emergence of instant payments in Europe? You know, I mean, NPP in Australia is sort of a flagship for us. I mean, it's already four or five years that we have engaged with the community here that had this sort of a objective to create for the industry, for the people here, a, a new system that will make actually payments a lot more easy. We engaged with them, we went to uh, attend the process, we finally won it, and then we, over the last, the last few years, we went to blocking the system. Went live uh, February, and it's really a tremendous success for too many reasons. I think people were expecting this. And two, also, I think the guys from MPP and the, the industry have designed with us an architecture that is very much open, right? It is designed to actually adding more innovation at the edge and the system and architecture are designed for such a thing. Therefore leading also to what we call open banking where eventually through APIs any companies will be able to get access to banks and building more valuable services. So it's really I think a beginning of things uh, that Australia is leading. It is happening indeed in many of the countries. Europe is also um, there. I think Europe is, is more moving through the, the pressure of uh, PS D2 regulation that is about mandating the banks to open up their systems to any other third parties so that you can actually create more innovation, more competition, and, and so on and so forth. So, this is really something that is um, happening everywhere, perhaps a bit more visible I- in Asia because you know, in Asia, there's also the, the big areas in Europe. Right? So, you have uh, India, you have China, you have Indonesia. Altogether, it's, it's about you know, a bit more than 3 billion inhabitants. Those economies are growing very fast, and, and there as well, thanks to new technologies, the focus on customer innovation, the new entrance, regulation when it comes to India, things are really, really developing very fast and, and you're getting to new companies like, you know, Alipay, four years ago, there wasn't any Alipay, right? And, and now we are, there are with uh, 500 million clients, right? And, uh, and it's tremendously, tremendously changing the, the industry. And from Swift's perspective, Alain, I'd be eager to get your views on what sort of opportunities you're seeing in payment sector, particularly as it continues to innovate. The funny thing is that, uh, you know, somewhere the good news for me is that, you know, my friends and my family are, can no longer saying that I'm, I'm having a boring job. Actually, not at all. It's much more a sexy job than I have nowadays, and I hope it's going to stay like this. But, but, you know, I mean, we are a corporate society, we are owned by banks, so our mandate is really to define ways in which we can help the banks to innovate. That, that's what we do in Australia with NPP. Well, well we, we, we've been developing this, we're operating this. We came with a substantial level of innovation 
innovation to this. We really participate with that. And that's what we do everywhere, right? I mean, we, we, we try to helping the banks, improving the customer's experience. You've heard about the GPI initiatives, right? I mean, this is about making international payments faster, more transparent, uh, seamless, and all that. Uh, we launched this actually just you know three years ago at Cybos in Asia. It was in Singapore at the time. It went live about a year and a half later. Now we are sort of a year and a half down the road in life phase. We have uh, more than 250 clients signed. We have about 70 that are live. Volumes are both 1 million transactions per day, more than $1 billion every day going through the, the GPI path. It, what is even more interesting is that now we, we can also prove that somewhere, you know, technology is not really the obstacles to speed, right? We, most of those um, transactions that I'm referring to, uh, more than 50%, they're being delivered to the final recipients in less than 30 minutes. Uh, half of those in, in less than a few minutes, right? Uh, and that led us actually to, to start thinking about bringing even more innovation. And we came with this idea about could we eventually in Asia start interconnecting banks, domestic real-time payment services. That's what we've been testing over the last two, two weeks before Cybers. And we went through transactions all the way from China to Australia, to a bank in Australia, going through the Impin platform, getting to the final recipient remittance in less than 16 seconds. You know, that is, that is really a, a huge evolution, a huge improvement, and I believe that will lead even more to even more innovation in the future. Well, certainly a very fascinating and innovative outlook, I think, for all of us. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Time. Thank you. Next up, Madhu Diora discusses some of the initiatives that Paytm are working on to address the unbanked population, the latest news on their payments bank, and their expansion plans for the future. Madhu, welcome. Thank you. Now, Madhu, Paytm is an amazing innovator, and I just wanted to get a sense, first of all, about what your initiatives are with regards to addressing the unbanked, sure. which is so much talked about in the sector. I think uh, if you look at traditional banking in uh, many of our countries, especially developing countries, you have a lot of uh, private sector banks that address maybe the top 5 to 10% of the population. And then there are some public sector banks, that government-owned banks, that go maybe a little bit beyond. But the opportunity that we have uh, over the next five to ten years is to change that dramatically, is to bring real banking services to the unbanked and the underbanked. Because in a lot of countries, people have bank accounts, but they're not super relevant to them. They cannot really do payment transactions, they cannot deposit their money, uh, they cannot save properly. So it's not just a question of binary, are you banked or unbanked, it is also whether you're underbanked. So we want to bring a real bank uh, to customers where uh, they can do all the things that they want to do with their money, which is effectively you want to save money, uh, you want to spend money easily, efficiently, uh, you want to be able to borrow when you have a need, uh, investing in yourself or your company or your children, um, and you want to protect your money, which is effectively insurance. All of that is now possible on single platforms. And the way to do that is to reduce the friction cost to zero. So reduce the cost of providing a service to zero. So the traditional model was that you had all this paperwork, a banker really needed to know you and uh, know your finances. Um, now the data can solve a lot of that. And if you can bring the cost of distributing a product to close to zero, and if you can create super relevant personalized products, then we believe that customers will be able to do all of that. And a lot of these people don't have the ability to save thousands of dollars. They don't have, don't have the credit worthiness to borrow thousands of dollars. 
So you really have to solve for very small ticket transactions, whether it be in payments or lending or uh, wealth management. Now, you've also launched a payment bank relatively recently, about a year ago. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd be interested to get your views on some of the initiatives in the pipeline to grow that part of the business further. Sure. So our payments bank really wants to bring 500 million Indians to mainstream economy by giving them a first deposits uh, program, a deposits layer, uh, which is super powerful for them, uh, where we have said we'll charge no fees on digital payments. Uh, we will give competitive interest rate. Uh, we'll give a free debit card. And we also allow customers to save in a money market fund or a fixed deposit, which earns them much higher interest rate, uh, literally at a swipe of a button. And when you sell that mutual fund or fixed deposit, the money comes back to you instantly on the app. So you don't have to walk into a branch. You don't have to wait seven days or 15 days for your money to come into your account. It is super easy for you to do that. So now you can save all your money in a fixed deposit, a term deposit they call in other parts of the world, or in a, on a money market fund, which is really wealth management products. But where we start is with payments, which is what Paytm does. And with Payments Bank, uh, we think that it becomes the core of our relationship with the customer, where I don't care if they save all their money with us, but for a lot of users, if they can keep a large amount of their money with either with us or one of the wealth management products, effectively the customer gets to choose where they want to keep their product. We don't get to choose whether we want to keep them in savings account or fixed deposit. So we give, make it very easy for customers. And effectively, the way we think about our mission is we want to be wealth management platform for the auto rickshaw driver. Right? We don't want to be there for the super wealthy. If we are able to construct products uh, which are relevant to a large number of people, then we have no doubt that people who have other banking options will also switch to us. But we want to really uh, architect a platform uh, which can attract the 500 millionth user. Certainly fascinating times ahead. And RFI Group Research, um, a report recently highlighted that Paytm could emerge as the world's largest digital bank, obviously with the population of India. But I'm eager to get your views on your global presence. You've obviously moved into Canada. You have a presence in Japan. Um, How's that panning out? Well, India is obviously a very large opportunity for us. And I would say 99% of our effort is focused on India. Uh, because we want to have a large number of users do payments and then we want them to move to our bank. Uh, We want them to access wealth management, insurance, lending, credit, uh, all of these things. But about four years ago, uh, we started a big data lab in Toronto. Very humble beginnings. We just put four people there. One moved from India, the other three were local hires because we saw that being able to analyze data and offer customers very personalized products will be a differentiator for Paytm. And we thought that we could get some really high quality data scientists in Toronto. So we started with those four people. Over time, it's become 90 people, 9-0, who are working on big data problems for our India business. A couple of years ago, they came to us and said, can we have a small budget to launch a B2C a consumer app in Canada? As intriguing to us because we, we frankly hadn't thought about that. We used to get a lot of inbounds from other emerging markets in Southeast Asia, South Asia, Africa, Middle East, uh, about launching a Paytm in that country. And we hadn't really thought about a developed uh, market. But when they brought this idea, it was intriguing to us because we felt that we would learn a whole new set of problems and a whole new set of answers to those problems, as opposed to going into another developing country. 
because developed market problems are very different than developed country problems. So we thought as a company, we'll learn more, we'll move forward as a company, as opposed to just trying to replicate what we had done before. Uh, so that's why we've gone to Canada. I'm glad to say the business is doing really well, uh, not just in terms of the scale that they're building, but they're building it very differently than India was built. And they are, as a result, uh, doing a lot of innovation, which uh, actually informs our India business as well. Because we had the Canada business, uh, we started looking at other developed markets. And there's an opportunity to work with two of SoftBank companies. One is the SoftBank Telecom company in Japan, as well as Yahoo Japan, in a joint venture where Paytm is the technology partner. We launched that product three weeks ago. We were able to, from the time we pulled the team together to the time of launch was less than four months. We had people from three different countries, from Japan, India, and Canada, uh, working on this project. Uh, so to pull together a team which is uh, launching a whole new product in the Japan market, which is effectively QR code-based offline payments, and have uh, people from three countries who have never met each other, uh, from very different cultures, of course, and be able to launch that in less than four months. I think it's a good uh, template that we have for anything else that we want to do. And frankly, that would not have been possible uh, if we hadn't launched the Canada business two years ago. So, so we feel that as a company, we're moving forward. Uh, there are different types of problems. In Japan, for example, one of the problems that obviously we faced was a non-English speaking country. Uh, so now we have some of those learnings, which will, I think, inform us when we, if we ever wanted to go into a new non-English speaking country. So, uh, so a lot of different skill sets that we pick up, a lot of different innovations that we pick up from the different markets that we're in. And hopefully we try to pull them together to solve problems. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for your insights. I look forward to getting further updates on your business. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's an honor. Closing out today's episode is Leela Fury, who shares just how the Australian Payments Network is driving innovation, the latest updates on what the network is doing in regards to digital identity, and her view on how new entrants are going to shape the industry for the future. with the Australian Payments Networks, Leela Furi. Thank you for having me. Now, Leela, innovation is one of the big themes underpinning Cybos. I wanted to get your perspectives on how your organisation is driving innovation. Innovation is a really important priority for our organisation and it cuts across a number of different areas. We work with the Australian Payments Council to set the strategic agenda for the country and that focuses very heavily on a number of innovative areas and driving innovation throughout the country. Now there are a number of areas. As we all know NPP recently went live in February of this year and that is a very important innovation that has its roots in AuspayNet. NPP began within AuspayNet and has now been separated out into a legal entity and we think that NPP is not only an important innovative solution in and of itself but will be a catalyst innovation in a number of adjacent payments areas. We're working on a number of other important innovative areas. We've just completed work to partner with Transport for New South Wales in delivering their open loop for uh, credit card solution and we're very excited about that because we will be seeing people across New South Wales 
using their first payment of the day as a digital or credit credit card or debit card payment and we're very excited about that because that will drive the digitization. We're also working on a number of other important initiatives involving uh, security to ensure safe innovation and we feel that in Australia we've got an excellent platform which will certainly create uh, an important baseline and foundation for innovation. Now, Leila, you've also spoken before a lot on the area of security. I want to get your um, latest update on what the network is doing with regards to initiatives like digital identity. Security is a perennial problem that we can we look at on an ongoing basis and with the innovation being as fast moving and fast paced as it is, we're having to focus in on innovation in a very material way. And so there are two areas that we're focusing in on. Digital identity is one of those and we are working with the Australian Payments Council and on a, on a committee which involves participants not only from the financial services industry but also from the DTA and from telcos, retailers and a no- number of other adjacent areas. Because digital identity is a network business as is payments, it's important to make sure that any solution that we create is relevant and accessible and appropriate for all industries that might require a digital identity. We're busy working with industry on a digital identity framework and we're very excited about what's happening there. Insofar as card not present fraud goes, we've had an increase in online or card not present fraud and we're working with industry and have recently announced a card not present framework which will be introduced and we've created this framework in collaboration with both the financial services sector and the retailers and we're very excited because it's important that we work together as a country to combat fraud because fraud is a global phenomenon and to the extent that we have any weaknesses or vulnerabilities in our country, global fraudsters would target our country. So we're very excited about the framework and we're expecting that the framework will be produced, finalised and publicised in the first half of next year. Now, Leila, you also participated on a panel session at Cybos looking at disruption on in the payments sector. So I'd be eager to get your views on how do you see the entry or the continual entry of new players and how that's going to reshape the industry in the future. Australia is seen as a growth node in global terms because we have an enormous SME market and we also have a highly digitised environment. And so we're very attractive to disruptors who either have established themselves in other countries or are looking to set up shop. And our fintech numbers are compare very favorably to those across the world. Social media and other tech companies would also have an interest in a country that is relatively easy to manage because of its size and also highly digitized. And so we are most certainly open for business and also open for innovation. I see possibly two paths separating in the future, and that is distinguishing between the traditional process of product curation or manufacturing and product distribution. Now, traditional financial 
firms or banks typically offer both. They curate or create products and they distribute them. And so there is a possibility that either fintech tech companies or social media companies may look to enter or to compete or even to collaborate. I think the technologies of disruption that are relevant in the current payments environment are right now mobile is, is very well entrenched and, and establishing itself even further. In time to come, mobile might be even become obsolete as the Internet of Things and invisible interaction and payments take over. And we, we're seeing a shift to AI, biometrics, and potentially in the future into blockchain. Now, we've already seen a number of our local institutions partnering with fintechs and developing some very impressive disruptive technologies. We've seen some of our, our participants delivering groundbreaking blockchain solutions, which are interacting with global entities across the world. We've seen voice authentication being introduced into payment and banking apps. And we've seen interesting partnerships between banks and other either AI or analytics companies. And so this is a very exciting um, prospect for us because I think that those institutions that will win in the future in this very disruptive and innovative environment are those companies that prioritize uh, the customer, that own and, and control the customer interface, those parties who are able to deliver and roll out products much quicker than they had to perhaps 10 and 20 years ago when development life cycles were much shorter. And also those companies that invest in leveraging their very valuable data sets and invest in artificial intelligence, machine learning, natural language processing and areas that will reduce the friction, reduce the, uh, the level of manual intervention and increase the, the customer experience. And so I'm very excited. It's a, it's a wonderful time to be in the, in the game of payments. It's fast moving and I, I'm very excited to see where we land in five years from now. I think that it will be a very different world than where we are now. Lila, well, it's lovely to sit down and talk to you about all things payments. Enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you, and it's lovely to chat. We hope you enjoyed part one of this 2018 Cyboss special. Make sure you subscribe to receive part two direct to your inbox later this week. To discover more content from the podcast, head to globaldigitalbanker.com. To stay in the loop for upcoming episodes, be sure to follow us on social, on Twitter at GDB Podcast, LinkedIn at RFI Group, or on Instagram under Global Digital Banker. If you're interested in being a part of the show or would like to let us know what you think of this episode, email us at gdbpodcast at rfigroup.com.